turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. We're going to finish the 13th chapter this morning. We've been in Matthew for many weeks. We're going to continue in Matthew until we are concluded. As you look at Matthew 13, we'll look at the very last few verses of this chapter. And remember, Matthew is about Jesus as a king. All right? He's the king. Again, the first chapter talks about his lineage. It is in Matthew that the wise men come and give gifts fit for a king. John is the one who calls forth the coming of a king, John the Baptist. Jesus sets forth his kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. He gives parables to say this is what the kingdom of God is like. But then most reject his kingdom. And we're going to see that even here in chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel as we begin reading together this morning. I trust you'll read along with me. Matthew 13. Just the last few verses here. Verse 51 and following. Have you understood these things? He said to them, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Remember last week we talked about his disciples understood these things. You and I, if we have the knowledge of Christ, if we've been regenerate, we understand the gospel. It's a treasure. We take care of it. We bring it out. We share it with other people. But then in verse 53, so when Jesus had finished the parables, he went away from there and coming into his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. They were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and check this out, these mighty works? There's no denying in this text that Jesus has wisdom And mighty works. I want you to see that. They're not questioning either one of those things. In fact, they're validating both of those things. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simeon and Judas? Are not these his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? Verse 20, excuse me, verse 57. And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Father, help us understand and comprehend and apply your word to our hearts today. Help me as I struggle in my earthly flesh to communicate these amazing truths. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the deal. Jesus is speaking not for the first time, but the second time in his hometown. Remember, he went the first time, and what happened? They got so angry, they almost threw him off a cliff. So he comes back this time, and they still don't like it. They still refuse it. Now, we've just had this amazing chapter 13 where Jesus has described the kingdom. Thank you, buddy. Described the kingdom in great detail. And people begin to understand it, the disciples and others, and some don't understand it. But here, the very people in his hometown, his family even. Remember we said before, especially about James, Jesus' half-brother James. Obviously, Jesus was born of a virgin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was his earthly father. 
But Mary and Joseph had other children, including James. And here we can see that even though James, listen, even though James had grown up with Jesus, he knew something was unique about him. But even his own household didn't quite come to the place of acknowledging he was actually God. But he did later. Because later on, James becomes a pillar of the New Testament church. Later on, this, listen to me, later on, this same James that here in this text wasn't sure about what his brother was doing. Remember, we said earlier when Jesus is teaching, he's beginning to say some things that are really going to get him in trouble. His mother gets his brothers together and they go try to pull him out of there, try to rescue him. <laughs> You're going to get yourself in trouble. And indeed he did, right? So even his immediate family didn't quite understand. But you know what happened to this James? He became a leader of the first century church in Jerusalem. Even Paul and Peter and others would come to James for advice. He was that important in the church. And he was such a threat eventually to the religious leaders and the Romans of the day that eventually he was taken to the top of a building and thrown off. To be killed. And he was a tough guy because apparently he didn't die when he landed. So then they stoned him to death. I just want you to know that this James who's standing here with the others not sure who Jesus is. Came to a place when he did understand who Jesus was. And do you know when that was? It was after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because at some point after Jesus came forth out of the grave. He went and visited James. Now, I can't imagine what that would be like. You have a brother that you've lived with your whole life. You saw him or your mother told you about him dying on the, on, on the cross. You know he was buried in a tomb. He was dead. He was crucified for nonetheless. And then he shows up at your door, alive. Not a ghost, not a spirit, but a real person with flesh. He's alive. He's got those nail prints in his hand as he showed Thomas and the spear print in his side. That will change your attitude pretty quickly. Resurrection is what is our hope and our joy and what makes Jesus who he is. So much so that James not only became a believer, but became a leader. And not only became a leader, became such a leader that he was a threat and such a threat that he was actually martyred. But let's go back and look at this. What is this about? Unbelief. I mean, here we are. He is the king. I mean, there have been so many things that display his kingship. His uniqueness, his wisdom, his mighty works. As I said, even those in his hometown said, he's got wisdom, he's got mighty works. We don't deny either one of those, but we, listen, we refuse to believe he is who he says he is. Wow. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever get frustrated why the world doesn't just embrace Christianity? Why they just seem to always turn against it? Why we seem to always be swimming upstream against the, 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 the culture? Why so many people can look at, at Christianity, look at the gospel, look at the scripture, look at the love of God, look at the beautiful picture of Jesus who loves us so much that he died for us and go, no, it's not for me. Why? Well, here, Jesus himself shows up. Jesus himself teaches in person. Jesus himself shows his mighty works. And people who are there literally in his presence can look at him and go, nah, I don't believe it. I think in that sense, we need to understand that this side of heaven, until the Lord comes again, wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many there be on it. Narrow is the path that leads to righteousness, and few there be 
and find it. I think Jesus is telling us we shouldn't be surprised when so many continue to see the truth and yet reject it. Their unbelief. John MacArthur talks about a couple of things in this text that I thought was really relevant. He said, first of all, when someone has unbelief in Christ, in God, in the gospel, oftentimes they, they, they devalue the truth as the wisdom and the mighty works, right? And they raise something that's irrelevant. I mean, I could stand here all morning and we could talk about the truth of the scripture. I mean, archaeology proves it. Science actually proves it. The fact that you're here proves it, for goodness sakes. 2,000 years after this happened. You know, someone told, asked, once asked Billy Graham, do you really believe, you know, that you'll go to heaven? Do you really believe that God is real? Do you really believe that Jesus is alive? He said, absolutely, with everything I have. And they said, well, how do you know that? And he said, because I just spoke to him a minute ago. All the truth that's out there is all around us. And yet so many deny the powerful truth. I mean, the church of Jesus Christ. Look, folks, I don't need to tell you, in the 2,000 history of the church, 2,000 year history of the church, we've had some pretty, pretty sorry folks who've led churches, right? We've had some pretty, pretty, pretty bad actors who've done a lot of things in the name of the church. And we still do. And yet, church is still here. Hadn't gone away. Kings have tried to destroy it. Governments have tried to outlaw it. People have tried to persecute it out of existence. Church is still here. There hasn't been an official appointed missionary in China for well over 65 years. There are vastly more Christians in China today than there were 65 years ago. How do you explain that? How do you explain that in, in some of the most oppressive countries in the world, people are coming to faith to Jesus in unbelievable numbers under tremendous oppression and many of them under real persecution? How do you explain the disciples? I mean, people say, well, they just made this up. Really? What did they benefit from it? If they made all this up, how did they benefit? None of them, it looks to us as we see their lives, none of them like built a ministry, had a big campus, created a school, had a jet. <laughs> Rather, they just wandered around and got beaten up and thrown in prison and all of them eventually martyred. Why would you do that for a lie? And that was the case of so many. You can just look and see, and you can just look at someone's life. Like the old country song, the, they baptized Jesse Taylor in Cedar Creek this Sunday. Jesus gained a soul, but Satan lost a good right arm. Listen, the story of Jesse Taylor is everybody's story. You can say, this is what I was, but this is where I'm going. And you can look at someone's life and say, man, how does that turn around? How does that change? It's Jesus. But unbelief takes the, the relevant and powerful and says, eh, I want to focus on the irrelevant. In other words, what these people did, rather than focusing on the words and the mighty works, 
what is he actually saying and what has he actually done? They go, wait a minute, let's focus on the irrelevant. These are his brothers and sisters. He came from here. What possibly good could come from here? And so, so many times when we present the gospel, when we share Jesus, they go, yeah, but, you know, I know of a church that did this and it was really a mess. Or I went to a church one time and they ignored this. Or why does a church do all of these things? Or, or I don't like this in the church. Or I don't like that. And all, you bring these. Why in the world does that have to do with your eternal soul? When you stand before a holy, just God, and believe me, you will, whether you, you will. It is appointed one time for everyone to die, and after death, the judgment. You will stand before holy, just God. We just talked about that, where Jesus said in the other parable, you're going to throw out the net and bring in all the fish. And the angels will sit there and say, these are good, these are bad. And if they're the bad ones, Jesus talks more about hell than anybody. It's a place of great torment, fire, and gnashing of teeth. And not for a few weeks or a few days, but for all eternity. It's the focus of God's wrath on all that is sinful. And you stand before a holy and just God. And he says, Are you gonna, why should I allow you into my heaven? Why should you, of all people, not be punished for your sin? And you say, well, you know, those people in that church, some of them didn't treat me very well. Or I know some Christians, those, some of those TV preachers traveled around on jets and that's not relevant what's relevant is if you received Christ if you have you got a home in heaven you got a place in my house you've got paradise unbelievable if not you're an object of God's wrath for eternity what well, really matters here they took the irrelevant and made it more relevant these are his brothers and sisters so what somebody's going to be his brothers and sisters amen this is his hometown. Well, so what? Some place is going to be his hometown. It's amazing when you talk to people about the truth and the truth is right there. They don't focus on the truth. They focus on irrelevant things around the truth. Not only do they focus on the irrelevant things around the truth, but they then, listen, they become offended by the truth. Oh, wow, that's where we are today, right? Not only does the secular world look at us and talk about all the fringe things. Listen, if you want to start, don't do this. Please don't do this. Don't do this on social media. Don't try to, don't try to change the world on social media. You're not going to do it. But if you, if you follow some folks on social, if you, just, if you just look at some people who say the church is the problem in the world, there are so many people believe we're the main problem in the world. Religion's a problem for everything. Churches just suck all kinds of energy right out of the culture. Really. This little congregation, we got about 35 or 40 members. We've got a lot more attenders than that. I'm not bragging on us. But when you count what we've raised and given to Restoration House and for human trafficking and paid for the school, for all the stuff for the teachers and given away, it's... Folks, it is tens of thousands of dollars. Just this little church. Plus, you give a portion of your tithes and offerings you give every week goes to what we call the cooperative program, which helps fund the, large, the third largest disaster relief program in the nation. You know who's in Kentucky right now with all those floods? About 5,000 Southern Baptist volunteers at their own expense helping clean out homes and get people's lives back together. Wherever there's a need, the people... I don't see the atheists running to Kentucky and helping clean out homes. I see Christians doing that. Wherever there's a hurricane, wherever there's an earthquake, you're going to see 
believers who go, and they don't go for a few days. It's long term. We stay till it's done. And I could go on and on. Nearly every hospital that was ever started in North America was started by a religious organization. Nearly every college that was ever started in North America was started by a religious organization. And I know some people say we're grateful for our brother who shared about his work in missionary work. And some people will say, yeah, but you're just taking Western society and trying to colonize people with Western society in other countries. Listen, I could stay here all day. Unbelievable medical attention and help at no cost to people who have come through Christians. Unbelievable. All across the world and still does. I mean, you can look at all of these things and people will still say, nah, it's irrelevant because, and they bring up some subject. Or at this point, they become offended and they say, no, you're not the answer. You're the problem. It's not that you're just irrelevant. You're actually an offense. The church should go away. As John Lennon would say, just imagine a world with no faith, no God. Wouldn't that be great? Well, I've got to tell you something. There's some people who may actually experience that someday and not think it's so great. There's a theological term I want you to know. It's called common grace. It's an important term. Common grace is a grace that God gives to everybody, saved and unsaved. It doesn't save you. It doesn't bring you into heaven. But you know what common grace does? He keeps us from tearing us, ourselves completely apart. There's a certain amount of God's common grace he just puts on this earth. Because if he didn't put his common grace on this earth, it would be Lord of the Flies. We would kill ourselves. We already see what happens in a lot of places. And we think, oh, how bad it is. Yes, it is. But if, if the Spirit of God were ever removed from this earth, that's all it would be. And it would be far worse than anything you could ever possibly imagine. People say, well, the church is the problem. Man, if they only knew. The church is the only thing in this world that's keeping it from completely falling apart. But they take the relevant and exchange it for the irrelevant. And then even then, that's not enough. They take the truth, the wisdom, and the mighty works. They see what goes on in the church, and they refuse to believe it. And not only do they refuse to believe it, they take offense at it. Because that's what the scripture says here. Verse 57, and they took offense at him. Now, the word offense there, I'm not going to get into a detailed Greek lesson here, but more or less it means sort of a wall. They built a wall, but that's what, it, a defense almost. It's a wall. It's not, we just don't believe. We're actually going to wall it off. We want nothing to do with it. We look around, we see so many in our world that do that. And we think, how can that happen? Here is a loving God who gave his only son who suffered and died on Calvary's cross for wicked, stupid, sinful people like me who offers that to everyone. And I go, yeah, but what about all these other little things? And if the church is the main problem, if we didn't have religion, we wouldn't have wars. And they just suck money out of the community. And they don't pay their taxes. And they got a bunch of nutty preachers. And, and by the way, I'm just offended by them. I think we should just stomp them out. The truth offends me. Their truth offends me. Let me. Wrap this up in a way that better than I could say it. 
This is what John MacArthur says. Boy, hang on, buckle up. Listen, it doesn't get much better than this right here. It was not a lack of evidence that caused them to be unbelieving. Just, just, just mull on that for a minute. It's not a lack of evidence that causes the world to be unbelieving. The evidence is plentiful. I just went through some of it. It was not a lack of proof that caused them to be unbelieving. Especially this group. They'd seen the miracles. They'd heard the teaching. You ready? It was a love of their sin. They did not want to abandon themselves to what was obvious. They did not want to be exposed as sinners. They did not want to turn from their sin. And that's still the problem. It's not a lack of evidence that causes people to be hard and unbelieving. It's not a lack of evidence. It's a love of things that are evil. They do not wish to come to the truth, lest their deeds would be made manifest in the light of the truth. That is what we're up against. And even though Jesus had some amazing teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, even though he had some tremendous teaching in the glorious parables, he comes to this place and these people just take it and go, no, I don't want to deal with it. Not only is it irrelevant, it offends me. And it's not because they didn't have the proof. It's because they loved their sin more than they loved Jesus. There's another story. There's many. In the Gospel of Mark, you don't need to turn there, but in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus goes through a whole series of events in Mark chapter 5. It's amazing. It's an amazing passage. Mark chapter 5. In Mark 5, Jesus calms a storm, right? You're with me? Out on the sea. I mean, whoa. And then he casts out the demons from the man that gets at the cross... I'm on Facebook and my guys can see me. I can't even say this word. Gadarene demoniac. Thank you very much. He cast out the demon from the demoniac and Gadarene demoniac in the Gazarenes. So not only does he calm the storm and cast out the demons, but then remember the woman comes with the issue of blood and he heals her after her 12 years of ailment. And not only that, then he goes to Jairus' house, the ruler of the synagogue, and he raises a little girl who's dead, and she's 12 years old. All right, so here are the disciples. You're, you're one of the disciples, and in just a short order of time, you've seen Jesus calm the storm on the sea. I mean, it's been raging and wind, and all of a sudden, he speaks to it, and it looks like glass. And then you cross the sea, and here's this man completely obsessed and, 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 and possessed by demons, so much so that he cuts himself with stones, he hides among the, the tombs, they try to bind him with chains, and he breaks the chains. He's completely irrational, and he has a conversation with Jesus. Jesus calls the demons out of him. The demons are sent into the swine. The demons say, don't send us out of the country. By the way, I believe that's because... Satan never want to leave where he has dominion. Don't send us out of the country. Jesus sends them into the swine and this huge herd of swine. And the disciples are seeing this. They run full bore off a cliff and drown in the sea. Because whatever sin enters, it destroys. 
So here you have the disciples have seen Jesus calm the storm. The disciples have seen Jesus cast out demons. The disciples have seen Jesus, when he cast out the demons, send them into the swine that then ran off the cliff. And then the disciples see Jesus heal this woman who's got an issue of blood for 12 years. And then he raises a little girl from the dead. Is there anything he can't do? And then he shows up at his hometown. He came to his hometown and he began to teach just as Matthew tells us. And they say the same thing. It's just what Matthew said. There's his brothers. There's his mother. Who is he? Jesus says the prophet is not without honor in his hometown. This is what happened. And he could do no great miracles there. Unbelief. Now look, listen to me carefully. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Your belief does not make a miracle. There's no, we do not have the word of faith. That is, you don't speak it into being. You have no power at all. God can do whatever God chooses to do. But because of their unbelief, he chose not to do anything there. You following me? Because of their unbelief. A pastor once said this. It was because Adam and Eve chose not to believe God's word that they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and lost that relationship. They had that perfect relationship with God. It was because Pharaoh refused to believe Moses and the word of God that he lost not only all of his Hebrew servants and slaves, but he lost all of his army in the Red Sea. It was because David refused to believe the word of God that he abused and misused Bathsheba and had her husband killed, that he suffered torment and challenge and lost his, some of the greatest things he treasured. And we could go on and on and on. What unbelief does. And again, unbelief isn't based on a lack of evidence, a lack of proof. It's basically a love of evil. And our job is to be such an example to this evil world that we let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify God. We don't, that's what I mean, church, we don't argue people into the kingdom of heaven. We don't beat them over the head. We don't try to find some way to change their heart and change their mind by our great ability to be, be persuasive. We simply live as Christians in a world that's not Christian. We live as men and women, boys and girls who love Jesus and love this world even when this world hates us. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to let this world know that we serve a king that's greater and more wonderful than any king in the world. And we're part of that kingdom. And because we're part of that kingdom, we're generous and caring and kind and even forgiving to those who hate us. And you cannot make us not love you. We'll love you no matter what you say to us. And we'll pray every day that your eyes will be opened. And you'll no longer be offended by the truth. Listen to me, church. If you don't hear anything else, this is what I want you to hear this morning. The real antidote for sin is to pursue, as John Piper said, is the pursuit of a greater pleasure. 
The real antidote for sin, even in your life and my life, even as born-again children of God, man, we want to fall into sin. We want to be lazy. We want to do stuff we know we shouldn't do. The antidote really isn't just being a better person and trying harder. It's pursuing a greater joy than the sin gives you. And the greater joy is Jesus and him and his truth and his glory that we get to share. God himself is the greatest joy. Don't be surprised that the world doesn't receive everything we share. Don't be surprised when they take offense at us. Don't be surprised when they marginalize the truth and make irrelevant things the primary things. Realize they are blinded by sin. And so we love them and share the gospel with them. And we pray that God will open their eyes and remove the scales from their eyes and unclog their ears so they can hear and see the truth. And this morning, if you've never done that and you are drawn to him, I want you to come to him in saving faith. But for those of us who have been born again, my goodness, can we just this morning be joyful that we have been saved, that we are part of his chosen, that we do have a home in heaven, life eternal, life everlasting, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done, that he has taken our unbelief and made it belief. And that rather, listen to me, church, rather than to be angry at the world, the world doesn't need any more anger. We need to be compassionate for the world and love the world and pray that the world will turn to Jesus and find the same joy in him that we have had. But at the same time, don't be surprised when they don't, all of them. They didn't for Jesus. But one day, one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Heavenly Father, how I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that it has made sense in our life, those of us who are children of yours, just may we enjoy that fact today and be grateful even in a more powerful way than we've ever been before. May we continue to pray for our loved ones and family members who don't know you. May we not argue with them or be cantankerous with them or try to uh, force them or, or beat them in a, in a discussion or a, a debate, but may we just love them and trust you to open their eyes. And may we have broken hearts for people who love their sin more than they love the truth because their sin is going to lead them to death and destruction. Help us be instruments of your peace and instruments of your truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.